This episode of Recommended is sponsored by The Five by Hallie Rubenhold. Five devastating human stories and a dark and moving portrait of Victorian London, the untold lives of the women killed by Jack the Ripper. For more than a century, newspapers have been keen to tell us that the Ripper preyed on prostitutes. Not only is this untrue, as historian Hallie Rubenhold has discovered, it has prevented the real stories of these fascinating women from being told. Now in this devastating narrative of five lives, Rubenhold finally sets the record straight, revealing a world not just of Dickens and Queen Victoria, but of poverty, homelessness, and rampant misogyny. They died because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, but their greatest misfortune was being born women. Check out The Five by Hallie Rubenhold wherever books are sold, or click a link in our show notes. Thanks to Houghton Mifflin Harcourt for sponsoring. This is Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. Today, Lori Gottlieb and Nikesh Shukla join us to talk about books that have shaped their own craft. Lori Gottlieb is a psychotherapist and New York Times best-selling author who writes the weekly Dear Therapist advice column for The Atlantic. She's a sought-after expert on relationships, parenting, and hot-button mental health topics in media, such as The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, Dr. Phil, CNN, and NPR. Her most recent book is Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, which takes us behind the scenes of a therapist's world where her patients are looking for answers, and so is she. My name is Lori Gottlieb, and Love's Executioner is my recommended book. Love's Executioner is a collection of vignettes from the therapy room by Irvin Yalom, who is now 87 years old, and he's sort of like the Oliver Sacks of the psychotherapy world. He's a psychiatrist. Um, he was at Stanford for most of his career. And he takes us inside the therapy room with him, and we watch him work with really fascinating patients throughout the book. I discovered it when I was actually up at Stanford in medical school. And he was sort of like the celebrity there in terms of any of the medical students who were also interested in the human condition. And this book was was a very famous book and uh, not just at Stanford, but it, it got a lot of attention because he was one of the first therapists to really open up that world and expose people to it in this way. And so I was curious about it. I didn't know that I was going to fall in love with the book and that it would actually become something that guided me in my career later. But I was just curious about it because everybody was talking about it. I was not a therapist. I never thought I would become a therapist. This was me going into a foreign world and, you know, like visiting someplace for a little bit and then being able to return to my real life. So I never expected that this would become my life, you know, <laughs> decades down the road. It was just, it was just a fascinating read. I was really, you know, he was one of these guys who was just a beautiful writer for somebody who loves literature and who loves the world of kind of going into people's lives in this very rich and real and raw way. It was, a, it was just something that I was, I was fascinated by. But I haven't reread it recently. I did reread it. Um, I would say, a couple of years ago, maybe maybe even more, maybe like three years ago, with someone's story of his relationship with them as he helped them in therapy. And so you can dip in and out of the stories. Some stories 
will resonate with you at a certain time in your life. And then later on, one of the stories that maybe you didn't connect with as much, you read and you say, oh, wow, that, that one. <laughs> now, I, now I really, really resonate with that one. You know, I think it's the kind of book that you read over a lifetime that, you know, when you're younger, there are certain patients who will feel more familiar to you. And then as you sort of go through middle age, then others feel more familiar to you or other themes become more important to you. He's such a skilled writer and that he he makes these interactions and these relationships with these people so vivid that you feel like you know them and you feel like you know him and you feel like you know his patients. You care about them and you want to know what happens to them after. And of course, we don't know, which is frustrating <laughs> but um, because now it's all these years later. So, so much must have happened in these people's lives. I've learned a lot about from him about how he approaches being a human being in the room with these people, as opposed to the kind of stereotype of the therapist as this impartial, neutral person, which we're not. I think his vulnerability has shown up in my own writing. I think that even if I didn't write a book about my experience in therapy and as a therapist, if I were writing about something completely different, I would still go deeper and be more vulnerable because of his writing. His writing has had a huge impact on, I would say, my courage on the page because I think he's so brave in this book and he really puts himself out there in ways that were certainly at the time revolutionary. His descriptions of things, are they bring things to life in this way where you really feel like you're there. I think too that he's very funny <laughs> and and I think that a lot of people don't associate humor with um, the psychotherapy profession. He's extremely funny and irreverent and self-deprecating. He says things that are not PC at all that people might take issue with, um, meaning his reactions to his patients. And he has very real reactions that um, he's bringing it up for a reason. He's not trying to be provocative. But he's bringing it up because he's saying we all have these our dark sides. We all have these thoughts and feelings that we try to repress. And if you repress your feelings, they just become bigger. So he wants to give them air and he wants to put them out in the open. And sometimes that makes him a little bit unlikable. But then you really like him because you say, but I sometimes I don't have necessarily the same thought, but I have my own dark side. And I think he wants us to get in touch with ourselves in our entirety, which means the parts that we like about ourselves and also the parts that maybe we try to hide. And he doesn't try to hide them. He, he, he puts them right out there for us to see. And I really respect that. There are two books that I recommend regularly to people. And this is, this is one of them. And one of the other one has nothing to do with psychotherapy, but they both get at what it means to be a person in the world in such a profound way. And um, and they stay with you long after you've read them. And interestingly, of the two books, his is the more sort of enjoyable read, meaning it's it's entertaining, it's funny, it's thought provoking. And the other one's just extremely heavy and beautiful. <laughs> the Tennis Partner by Abraham Verghese. It's not about tennis, by the way. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's about a relationship between uh, actually another Stanford doctor, um, Abraham Verghese. He didn't used to be there, though, when he wrote this. And a medical student who had a drug addiction. 
and was hiding it and was sort of, and they were both going through these, these life crises where Abraham Bergesi was, his marriage was falling apart. And this was in El Paso, Texas. The student had been, was on probation because he had been caught with a cocaine addiction. And they were both trying to kind of start over and get through these really difficult periods in their lives. And it's about male friendship in a way that I've never read about male friendship. Um, it's gorgeous and heartbreaking. And um, it's one of my absolute favorite books. So I recommend that along with Love's Executioner for anybody who wants to have a book that they don't want to end and that will stay with them for a long time. I read um, so many different kinds of books. So I think that it's more about the theme of the book than whether it's a novel or whether it's poetry or whether it's memoir, whether it's short stories. So you know, I'll read anything from, I'll read Curtis Sittenfeld because I, I love, I love what she says about human nature in her stories um, and in her novels also. And then I'll read Abraham Bergesi because this is a beautiful story of male friendship, like one I've never seen before. I'll read Yalom because it's my profession, but I read that way before I ever had any idea that it would be my profession. What I really gravitate toward are those stories that feel like they're really getting at the, the universal questions we're all asking about our existence. And I don't mean that in a heavy way. That sounds really heavy handed because I like really fun books, too. But I think even the fun books, like when I was saying Curtis Sittenfeld in her recent book of stories, it's a really fun book. But there's a lot of profound insight in it as well. Thanks again to Lori Gottlieb for joining us and recommending Love's Executioner by Irving Yalom. Her memoir, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, is now available wherever books are sold. You can follow her on Twitter at Lori Gottlieb1. This episode is also sponsored by The Fall of Crazy House by James Patterson and Gabrielle Charbonnet. Escape is just the beginning. Twin sisters Becca and Cassie barely got out of the crazy house alive. Now they're trained, skilled fighters who fear nothing, not even the all-powerful United Regime. Together, the sisters hold the key to defeating the despotic government and freeing the people of the former United States. But to win this war, will the girls have to become the very thing they hate? In this gripping follow-up to James Patterson's YA blockbuster Crazy House, the world is about to get even crazier. Find The Fall of Crazy House by James Patterson and Gabrielle Charbonnet wherever books are sold, or click the link in our show notes. Thanks to them for sponsoring. Nikesh Shukla is a British writer and diversity activist who conceived and edited The Good Immigrant, the acclaimed collection of essays about race and immigration in the UK by 21 writers of color. He is the editor of Rife Magazine, an online magazine for young people, and the author of the novels Coconut Unlimited, Meat Space, The One Who Wrote Destiny, and Run Riot. Coconut Unlimited was shortlisted for the Costa First Novel Award, and Nikesh has been shortlisted for the Liberty Human Rights Arts Award and named as one of Foreign Policy's 100 Global Thinkers in 2016. His latest book, the U.S. edition of The Good Immigrant, collects 26 essays by first- and second-generation immigrants, exploring what it's like to be othered in an increasingly divided America. My name is Nikesh Shukla, and If They Come For Us by Fatima Asghar is my recommended. If They Come For Us is a collection of poems by Fatima Asghar, who is a screenwriter and a poet and an essayist and a novelist, and it spans... Uh, 
so many different things. It talks about being Muslim, Islamophobia, partition, identity, grief, bereavement, loss of a parent, queerness, and uh, what it is, the, the sort of the particular nuance of being a woman of colour in a white supremacist world. And it's hung together by these passages around partition that really, really get to the root of the way the world is. It's, it's a really incredible piece of work. So I came across Fatih because of her web series, Brown Girls, which is, um, if you can find it online, well, it is, it's available online, um, and it's a web series about a, a group of queer female friends, and it's really poignant and hilarious and just brilliantly written and brilliantly directed. And I, I really loved it, and I was working on a writing project that had the potential to work with some international writers. And so we got Fatih into the room and I worked with her for a week on this project. And she was just such an incredible presence in the room. She really understands storytelling. She really understands character. She has such empathy and humor and also just knows how to tease out the weight of each moment. When she went back to America and then a week later, her collection of poetry turned up on my doorstep. I think the thing with a poetry collection, good poetry collections and good short story collections force, force you as the reader to slow down and read slower and luxuriate in the words and the language and the space between the words. And I think it, when you devour something as quickly as I, I did with this, I felt like I needed to go back and just languish in it. One of the things that doesn't hit you until you've experienced it a couple of times is she, she has these really clever rhythms. I'm, I'm just going to read a bit from one of the poems it's the title poem if they come for us and it goes my country is made in my people's image if they come for you they come for me too in the dead of winter a flock of aunties step out on the sand their dupa does turn to the ocean a colony of uncles grind their palms and a thousand jasmines bell the air my people i follow you like constellations rhythmically it's it just it demands to be heard aloud and i think you know when you're reading a poetry collection that has poems that need to be heard and you have poems that work really well on the page like microaggression bingo which is literally a bingo card of microaggressions or being a screenwriter there are poems where she plays with the script format there are poems she plays with like the choose your own adventure format you know she's really really unafraid of using very very pop culture references to break and test new forms of poems which i think is really really exciting and it's something that um, a person of colour, a woman of colour, um, we, we don't get to be experimental in this way. And also, like, the thing that I love about it is it isn't just about identity. It isn't just about a racial identity or a religious identity. It's about the mul- multiple facets of our identities. It's about the multiple facets of, the, I guess, the intersectionality of our identity as well. You know, the way it discusses queerness, the way it discusses how we're shaped by our familial relationships, the way it sort of discusses what space we take up and what space Fatih takes up as, as a woman. It's, it's just, it's astonishing. It's an astonishing collection. I don't read as many poetry collections as I would like. I think probably because I had a good five years where I was part of the spoken word scene and I was going out and performing poetry. I think I was so invested in the art of hearing poems and seeing them performed uh, that I wasn't that much myself into 
reading them on the page. But I just, I think in the last three or four years, there have been really, really interesting poetry collections that have come out that have really played with the form. So for me, it started with Claudia Rankin's uh, Citizen, which is, you know, these wonderful, brilliant, delicate, brittle poem essays. And then Don't Call Us Dead, Dana Smith's um, book that won a heap of awards uh, last year. And then in the UK, you've had Keo Chingoni's Kumakanda and Jay Bernard has got this amazing collection and Raymond Antrobus with The Perseverance, which actually out on the night of recording won the Ted Hughes Award for new work. And I think what it actually is, and oh, Zafar Kunial's Us as well. My God, that's a great collection. I think what it is, is there are more writers of colour, more poets of colour, finally getting the opportunity to take their work off the stage and onto the page. And that's a rare thing. You know, there's been such a healthy scene, a healthy spoken word scene for writers of colour for years and years and years. And that's been where we've really flourished or they've really flourished. But getting to put those poems down on page has always been, there's always been like this gatekeeping barrier that stopped this from happening but something has changed something has lifted and you've had these amazing poets in the last bunch of years like Ocean Vuong as well and and Terence Hayes as well Kaveh Akbar as well it seems to be a really healthy rich time to be a writer of colour with a poetry collection and that to me is very exciting I think one of the things about Fatih is I think she's really brave in how much of herself she puts on the page because I think it's quite ambitious to be as thematically kaleidoscopic as she is you know she covers a lot of ground and for me that would freak me out the thought of trying to like cover over 50 years of partition issues around gender and sexuality um you know family grief racism or all of those themes you know they're, they're big themes and she's juggling them all beautifully delicately it makes me think I can be this ambitious. There's this thing that you often find when you're pitching TV shows where you think you've got this sort of really, really good slow burner series overview, series Bible that's going to take you through the first series. And then the note that you get from the producers always just, that's your pilot. That entire series is your pilot. Put it all in the pilot. And you're like, well, how do I cover all of this stuff in the pilot? And they're like, well, you know, People want to be entertained. And I, I guess the, the, the point is, I, I guess, given Fatih is a screenwriter and with writing for the screen, you have to you know tell, tell your story visually, quickly, snappily, not lose yourself too much in the moment, get into a scene, get out of a scene and all the rest of it. And I think that re- you can really see that in her poetry because it gives her the space to try so many things. So I guess that's what I mean by brave. And I didn't, I didn't mean to sound patronising. As soon as I got this book, I've, I've been tweeting about it and her so much you know I, I i had said that this was my favorite book of the year and i talked about it in all of like the end of year lists that i did like i find that when you're a writer who people you know where people ask you to recommend books it's it's always one of the books that i always recommend because it just made a huge impact on me in a short space of time i think back to the impact that the buddha of suburbia by hanif qureshi had on me from the moment I read that first line, which goes, my name is Kareem Amir and I'm an Englishman through and through almost. And that one word almost just blew my mind. And there's, there have been so few books that spoke to me in that way that the Buddha of Suburbia spoke to me. And now they're all coming at me thick and fast, like Family Life by Akil Sharma, like If They Come For Us by Fatima, 
Osgur, but like Good Talk by Mira Jacob. And these are all books that have been released in the last 10 years, but you know, this is how much writers of color have been held back that we've had all these stories that we've been desperate to tell. And now finally the world is ready to hear them and I get to experience them all. And part of me feels a little bit of sadness that I didn't have these at critical times in my life, but I'm glad to have them in my life now. And what's really, really important for me is to recommend them to people so that people who are in their teens or in their early 20s or mid 20s or what have you, and they they need these books, they get to hear about them at the right time. Thanks again to Nikesh Shukla for joining us and recommending If They Come For Us by Fatima Asgar. The Good Immigrant, published by Little Brown and Company, is now available wherever books are sold. You can follow him on Twitter at Nikesh Shukla. Thanks again to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. If you like what you heard, please take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear your feedback and it helps other folks to find the show. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash recommended and you can email us at recommended at bookriot.com. 